Well, as we continue verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, please turn there with me. The next two weeks we are talking about, as we go through Ephesians 5, essential truths for a successful marriage. One grandma wrote in and she said this, at a wedding my granddaughter Melissa asked, why is a bride always dressed in white? Well, Grandma replied, because white represents happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. Her next question was, then why is the groom dressed in black? (laughs) Last week, we covered the issue and the blessing of the principle of submission. And this is something most people today are either ignorant of, or, and I'm talking about Christians, or they don't want to hear about it because they just want to do their own thing. But to those who do want to hear it, great blessings will follow when we follow God's principles of submission. Why? Because it is God's way, and God's way is always the best way. Now, last week we covered the issue of it, and this is something that we need to hear. We need to actually review it just for a couple minutes and then launch into our text. See, here's the truth, folks. The Lord has ordained the principle of submission. This comes from his mouth. This is his word. This is his way. It is his divine principle for us to live by. It touches all areas of society and life. It brings order to society. It is not exclusive to the home and marriage relationship, but it is certainly there, and it is one of the key areas that we need to know what God says, and not only know what he says, but submit to it and obey what he says. The truth of the matter is this. Marriage is a bad idea if not approached and lived out God's way. Now, I don't know of anybody else who says that, but I'll say it. It is a bad idea. Why? What you're doing is you're taking two sinners, and if they're not saved and not interested in the ways of God, you're taking two sinners who are carnal, who all they have is sin natures, and you're putting them together, and you're saying, live happily ever after. I think it's interesting in the vows, usually there's the line, till death do us part. Now, some people, you know, they get married and they kind of wish that'll come a little sooner because of the conflicts. Listen, if it isn't done God's way, marriage can be a miserable experience. So never marry the wrong kind, the right kind, meaning saved and dedicated to Christ. But the wrong one can be a problem. As a matter of fact, you can end up every day as misery. As a husband and a wife drove together down a highway, they noticed a mule. The husband looked at his wife and said, well, there goes one of your relatives. She replied, yeah, I know, by marriage. (laughs) Not a good relationship going on there, folks. If that continues, it'll probably end up in divorce court. Now, before we ever talk about submission and marriage, we must back it up, though, to verse 18. Remember, it is the Lord himself who gives us the power to be the right kind of marriage partner. And it is through, according to the text, God puts things in order for a reason. According to the text, that right marriage is through the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is why God's plan for marriage is between two saved people who are submitted to the Lord with their lives. Now, I know a lot of marriages don't start that way, and I know sometimes there's one 
or one person who's married and one isn't, there's an unequal yoke there, or they come into marriage and neither of them are saved, and then one gets saved and the other one's not, and that's a problem, or one gets saved and wants to do things God's way, and the other one might get saved and doesn't want to do things God's way. We're going to talk about that a little further in. But God is very clear on his will. Two saved people who are submitted, surrendered to the will of God, dedicated Christians. They have the best chance for that marriage to be a blessing in life. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions in the lost world. I'm just saying, folks, this is God's plan. If you look at Scripture, this is the way God wants it to be. Now, in verse 18, you notice it says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, to be filled with the Spirit means to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. To be filled is the idea of under the influence of. That's what the word filled means, controlled by. In a negative sense, we think of a DUI, driving under the influence, okay? Life is to be lived under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He is supposed to be the one who controls us and empowers us. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, you are under his influence. Now, let me say this. To be spirit-controlled is also to be word-controlled. Why? The Holy Spirit is the one who authored the Bible. Therefore, to be word-controlled is to be spirit-controlled and vice versa. When the Word of God is controlling my thinking and my actions, I am under that control of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is the way God wants it. The one who's controlled by the Spirit, therefore, will be, listen, obedient to the Scriptures. Say it again. The one who's controlled by the Spirit will be obedient to the Scriptures. I'm amazing how many people strut around saying, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm filled with the Spirit, and they're living wicked lives in some areas of their lives. Oh, you're not controlled by the Spirit. He wouldn't do that. This includes, by the way, the principle of submission. Now, here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says again, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. One of the keys to a successful marriage is that both the husband and the wife are in submission to the plan of God. I like to use this illustration. I'll just use my hands today. Okay, if you were to put the Lord here and then you were to put the husband here and the wife here, save people, this is the way it should be, As the man grows closer to the Lord in his walk, he's submitted, he's surrendered, he's obedient to the Lord in his personal life. As he draws closer to the Lord, and if the wife does the same thing, as they both grow in closeness, getting closer, growing in Christ, as they do that, they're getting closer to each other. It can bring more harmony into the life. If one of them, though, just stays here and the other one's growing, but the other one isn't, that is kind of an awkward thing that causes friction. No, when both are in harmony and they're walking with the Lord and they're both growing spiritually, they're growing closer and there can be more harmony in that relationship. That's the way God designed it. That's the way he wants it to be. Now, remember this as we start going through these principles, because you know, the old easy preach and hard living line can sometimes come into the picture, but God has designed us and God can't make a mistake. Remember that. His will is perfect. According to Romans 12, 2, it says, 
Okay, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or prove out what is that perfect will of God, okay? Good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The will of God, it's perfect. The word of God is the will of God, and God says it's perfect. You know what that means? That means if I come out with an alternate idea or plan, it will not match up. It's not as good as what God has for me. Why are there so many failed marriages today? It's not an issue of compatibility. You hear that. Well, we are just not compatible. No, you weren't doing it God's way. It is an issue of submission and obedience to God's plan for your marriage. Now, what does submission mean? I've been um, discouraged over the years when I'll read commentaries by respected Bible teachers, and when it comes to this issue and you look up what they have to say about the wives in submission to their husbands, they dance around the issue and they try to make it say something that it doesn't say. And I don't know what their motive is, but the first thing that comes to my mind is, why are you just not saying it the way? Are you afraid people are going to be turned off to what it says? See, I've learned this over the years. If I present the truth of God as it is, Yeah, I want people to embrace it, but if they get turned off by it, that's not my fault. It's their fault. If I am teaching the truth, we are all responsible to receive it and to obey it. And so this issue is a very important one. What does the word submission mean? It means to subordinate, to be under obedience. That's what the word submit means, to subordinate, to be under obedience. Submission is not an issue of being inferior, but submission is an issue of being humble and obedient to the Word of God. As one man said, submission does not mean blind obedience or passivity. It means giving oneself up to someone else. That's a good definition of submission. Now, we need to see marriage God's way. And so what we want to do is I'm going to cover several principles on this today. We're only going to be talking mainly to the wives, okay? So if you want to hear the other side of this, the husbands come back next week. The very, very important that we understand this. The first thing is this. In any institution, there needs to be a head. In any institution, there needs to be a head. The old saying, when there's confusion. What's the problem here? Well, there's too many. Oh boy, I just realized this is going to be politically incorrect. If you don't want to hear it, stop your ears because I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Oh boy, you shouldn't have said that. But I said it. Can I say it again? Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. What does that mean? That means there's not a head. There's not a leader. And so you've got chaos going on. But you know what? That's what everybody wants today. Everybody wants to be the head. Everybody wants to be the one in charge. Don't tell me what to do. I've got my rights. Yeah, that's indicative of the age in which we live, which is the Laodicean church. Friend, as we saw last time, submission is the principle of order. It's also the way of blessing. And if we are going to buck God's way, we will pay the price for that. In any institution, there needs to be a head. If you saw a man with two heads, you would say something has gone wrong. A marriage with two heads is a monster. It's what it is. Hold your place here and look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for just a moment. 
This is what God says. I'm just reading you what he says. God who cannot make a mistake, almighty God. He says this in 1 Corinthians eleven three. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Very important truth. As I mentioned that last week, didn't we? God is over everybody. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Remember, now, all of this is in balance by what the Lord's mission for the husband is. And what is God's mission for the husband? I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it is this, to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Now, if a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, it's not going to be as difficult for her to fulfill this principle of submission to her husband. Why? Well, because they're on good terms. Doesn't mean she's not supposed to be in submission. It just means that there's going to be harmony and the natural flow of submission in the relationship is one that's going to go a lot smoother than if they're always at each other's throats. Back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Here we go. Now remember, filled with the Spirit, submitted to one another. Okay, now here's the key. When a wife submits to her husband, what does that look like? When a husband submits to his wife, what does that look like? We're going to mainly focus on the wife today. It says in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves, be subordinate to, be under obedience to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Second point is this, for a wife to be in submission to her husband does not mean she's inferior, but it simply means she has a different role in the marriage. Listen, I know lots of very intelligent, smart, capable women, but no one is as smart and capable as God. Same with men, many smart, capable men. But no man is as smart as God. God's way is above man's way. For a wife to be in submission to her husband does not mean she's inferior, but she has a different role. But in the marriage, there is an order, and God is the one who ordained the order. We must trust the Lord on this. Look up here. God is over the marriage. He reigns supreme. Then there's the husband. Under him is the wife. Now again, it's saying, well, I thought they're supposed to be partners. Yes, they are, but still there's a head. While I believe with all my heart that the husband should see and treat his wife as a partner in life, the husband must still understand that God holds him responsible to lovingly lead in the marriage and in the home. Men, we are going to give an account for how we fulfill this. This leads us to our third point. When a wife obeys her husband, she is obeying God, for God is the one who told her to obey her husband. It's not a difficult truth to grasp. When a wife obeys her husband, she is obeying God, for God is the one who told her to obey her husband. This can take much of the struggle out of difficult situations. Make it a matter of prayer to where you are doing it 
for the Lord or to the Lord. In other words, if your husband is hard to follow, follow him anyway, because that's what God says, and trust the Lord to help you and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you because I'm struggling emotionally and as a person to do this. Now, folks, that is not just good counsel in a marriage. It's also good counsel in life. You may work for a a boss who is a a tyrant of a person, or you may be in a very difficult situation. What do we do? We live by principle. Don't live by your emotions. Listen, principles have to do with the mind. I say, well, I feel this, I feel that. Your emotions do not think. Emotions react. They don't think. This is very, very important. In what area is the wife or what areas is the wife to submit? Now, this is where people have a hard time. But nevertheless, you know what? I have to obey God on this. I believe what he says. Ephesians 5.24, it says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In everything? Yes. With one exception. Okay? And... The Word of God teaches this, which leads to our fourth principle. She is to submit in every area except an area where he wants her to go against the Word of God. Why? Because remember, who's above the marriage? God is first. We answer to him for our actions. Then the husband, then the wife. If the husband wants the wife to do something that is contrary to the Word of God, maybe get involved in some sort of group thing that is immoral or go... Uh, steal something or cheat some way on this or that or whatever. Maybe you're the wife and you're the one who does the taxes every year. And your husband says, well, let's not put that in. Let's not claim that. And yet it was income. What's she supposed to do? She's supposed to do what's right. Why? Because she answers to God. Now, there's a way to make an appeal to your husband. Do it with humility. Do it with kindness. Do it with calmness. But nevertheless... We need to obey God. But when it's something that is not an issue of going contrary to Scripture, a wife is to obey her husband in everything. Now, the challenge then falls upon the man to be a reasonable, thinking person who's lovingly leading in the marriage and in the home. And when he is, you know what he does? He's considerate of his wife's feelings. He's considerate of what his wife thinks. You might say, well, what if you have a husband and a wife and they can't agree on something? Then what do you do? Well, you put on boxing gloves and you just duke it out. No, 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 that's not the answer. You know what you do? Here's what you do. Ladies, here's what you do. Okay, well, I'll defer to you, honey, because you're the leader in the home and you're ultimately responsible, I'd say. Really? Yep, really. That's what you say. Now, ladies, can I tell you this? If your men are coming regularly to our Men of God Bible study, they're learning all of how they're supposed to be. And they're learning to accept and carry out responsibility. And so I want you to know they're being taught how to treat you properly. They're being taught how to respond to you, how to be considerate to you, how to listen to you. Are they perfect? No, but you're not either. No one's perfect. But this is the way it's supposed to be. 
She is to submit every area except where he wants her to go against the Bible. Then she needs to obey God rather than man. Colossians 3.18 says this, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Within the realm of the truth of God, the ways of God. Let's move on. In proper submission, the wife will end up showing respect for her husband. Now, if those of us who are uh, men, women, and you're married, okay, you might say, I can't figure out my wife or my husband. It's like the, the guy who, who bought a book. He saw it on the internet, and he, he bought it, downloaded it, you know, and he thought, well, this is going to be good. Everything men know about women or everything you wanted to know about your wife. And he said, I got it, and I opened it up, and there wasn't anything in there. Well, that's not a good place to be. God's Word tells us a lot. But here's what it comes down to. In proper submission, the wife will end up showing respect for her husband. Because here's the truth of it, lady, ladies. Um, you're in Ephesians chapter 5. Jump down to verse 33. It says this, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. That's a man's responsibility. We'll talk more about that next week. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, what does that mean? It means to show him respect. When things get a little testy between you, you don't blow off the top and say, you know, of all the wonderful men in the world, I had to pick a loser like you. That's not going to help him. It's only going to make things worse. Yeah, but he, how do we break the chains of these things? The way you break them is you go back to the plan of God. And you say, okay, you know what? We're having these issues because we're not following the way of God. We're not doing it God's way. Let's do it. And if you need counseling, get counseling. Come in. Glad to talk and to help out with that. But this is God's way. The greatest need of man is that he be respected. That's why God says, see that she reverence or respect her husband. This is the great need of man. Reminds me of another story. A husband gave his wife a beautiful skunk coat under a Christmas tree. When his wife opened it up, she says, I can't see how such a nice coat can come from such a foul-smelling little beast. The husband said, I don't ask for thanks, but I do demand respect. Here it is, ladies, okay? If you want your husband to lead, the last thing he needs for you is to fight him about it. If you want him to lead, then encourage him to lead. And men, if you're not leading, you need to start leading. You might say, I don't know what to do. Well, if you're coming out to men of God, you would know what to do. You would know how to do this. You would know how to do it in the right way. And by the way, if you can't come out, get in the Word of God. And God's Word will teach you how to lead. Loving leadership. Those are the two key words for man. Loving, that has to do with caring and considerate. And then leadership, that means that you're not looking to your wife to lead. You're saying, okay, I'm going to lead. And you're trusting God to help you be the leader God has called you to be. So ladies, if you want your husband to lead, don't fight him on it. Or here's another thing. When he makes a mistake, don't criticize him. Why? We all make mistakes, including you. Encourage him. 
Be humble. Quick to forgive if he blows it. Build him up to the children. This all comes under the concept of respecting him. Build him up to the children. You might say, well, my husband, no, he's just, you know, he just got some real needs. He's not what he should be. Let me ask you this. Are you all that you should be? Isn't it amazing how pride gets in the middle of things and just does so much incredible damage? We are to be, remember, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, has forgiven me. There's got to be patience. Let me ask you this. To hold a grudge toward your husband and wife, what is that going to accomplish? Zero. As a matter of fact, it'll go into the negative. It'll do more damage. It's not just going to be neutral. It's going to do damage because unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and bitterness is a cancer to a marriage. Be careful. Now, the question comes up because what I've covered so far is the ideal and how things are supposed to be. But the question comes up, well, what if my husband is not saved? Or what if he is a Christian, but he's not walking with Christ? He's living a carnal life. He's not interested in spiritual things. What if he's nothing more than a big kid? That's a common complaint from a lot of women. By the way, before I answer that, men, can I tell you this? The one thing Satan doesn't want you to be is a loving leader in your home. He either doesn't want you to lead or he doesn't want you to be loving. You may be loving or affectionate or kind to your wife, but if you won't lead, that's going to be a frustration for her because you are telling her, no, you lead in the relationship. You make all the decisions. I realize, you know, listen, wives are there to help. And that's important. And there are some things they know more about. That's why there's got to be communication between a husband and a wife. But Satan, man, does not want you to be loving in your relationship. If you're going to lead, he wants you to be like a drill sergeant. And what you'll do by that is you'll turn your wife off and you'll lose your children. You'll lose your children. Because they'll say, dad is just the dictator. Dad is just the drill sergeant. He really doesn't care about us. He just wants us to do everything he says. He likes being a king. Not good. And so Satan is going to try to keep you off balance. No, we need to be loving leaders. But what if you're married to a man who's just a big kid? What if he is carnal and he lives in the flesh and he's, he just doesn't do, he's not interested in doing the right thing? Here you go. Did you know the Bible deals directly with this? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, we come to this and I always have to put this in. 1 Peter chapter 3 gives you the solution But the solution is not a guarantee that he'll come around. But if he's going to come around, this is how you do it. This is your part in it. You understand what I'm saying? I've counseled situations before, and I've counseled with with, uh, wives married to deadbeat husbands. There's no better word for it. I think that's a good term. You know what I'm talking about. And And the wife will say this. So if I do this... He'll change, right? I said, no. There's a better chance he'll change if you do this, but it's not a guarantee. But God will bless you personally for doing the right thing. See? In marriage, yes, your partners, you're one in a sense in marriage. We'll talk more about that next week. 
but your two individuals as well. And both of those people, remember the triangle, both of them need to not only be saved, but be growing in Christ and getting closer to the Lord and walking with the Lord. That is what will bring the harmony. And God, by the way, is not going to do it. Hijack the other person's will and make them do the right thing. Here's the truth of it, though. The Word of God brings conviction. Wives, it's not your job to convict your husband. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict him. And the Holy Spirit does it through, oftentimes, as we see in the passage, the wives' obedience to the Word of God. Look at it. Here's how it happens. 1 Peter 3.1. If he's going to come around, this is the way it will happen. 1 Peter 3.1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection. There's that word again. Submit, subject, same Greek word. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, this could be a lost man or a saved carnal man. If any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, this is a little misleading in our King James text. Not misleading, but confusing. The word conversation here doesn't mean what you're saying. It means the way you're living. It's the manner of life, your lifestyle, your testimony, okay? So let's look at it that way. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without, literally, without word, be won by the manner of life of the wives, While they behold your chaste, there's the word again, conversation, manner of life, coupled with fear. The word fear there is that word reverence, respect. You notice it? How are you going to change him? If he's going to be changed, how's it going to take place? One of the major tools in the life of a husband who's not right with God is a Christian woman who is living a godly life a godly testimony. She's not always on her husband's back about him changing. Ladies, can I, can I give you a little secret here? God has wired men to be leaders. Now you might say, well, if they're wired to be leaders, why aren't a lot of them leaders? Well, it's because they have, they're in their flesh and they're obeying their old nature, which is corrupt. And they're not doing what they should. And Satan is tempting them to go down wrong trails in their life, and they're not doing what they should. But God has wired men to be leaders. And with that, he can give a man, and usually gives men, a strong will. Here's the issue. When a strong will is in submission to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, that man will be a determined godly leader. But if that will is not in submission to God, he will simply be stubborn. Stubborn. And he's not going to change because you want him to change. Because he's in the flesh. And he doesn't want to do the right thing. He's camped on the wrong thing. I think all of this, though, stems from the way God has wired men to be leaders. And leaders have to make decisions. They have to choose things. They have to determine things. And that determination can either be to the betterment of the marriage and family or can be to the detriment of the marriage and family. And so things like, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave Bible verses all over the house. That'll change them. I'll just put books 
you know, it goes into the bathroom. I'll put a book there. You know, I'll, I'll leave out a, a message or a, 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 I was going to say a cassette. We don't do cassettes anymore, do we? I'll leave out a CD, you know, please listen to this, or you need this, or, or here's a link, you know, send them an email or a text. You need to listen to this. Are you kidding? You know what he does? If he's not right with God, he just digs in his heels. It's not going to do it. You know what does it? You being humble, you being sweet, you being godly, you might say, I don't have that in myself to be that way. That is true. That's why we need to live by the principle. That's why you need to be submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, through His grace, can pour out on you the ability and the strength to live under difficult circumstances. This is what God says. We can't improve on it. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, this speaks of a pure manner of life. And then he talks about it. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning, okay? In other words, your substance is not how you look. It's good to look good, but that's not your substance. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair or wearing of gold or putting on a fine apparel. Some groups within quote-unquote Christendom will see verse 3 and they'll say, see that? Bible says no braiding your hair, no fancy hairstyles, no makeup, no jewelry. You need to look like you're out of Little House on the Prairie. Okay, You're living in the 1800s. Is that what it's saying? If it's saying no plating the hair, no wearing of gold, hmm, no putting on of apparel, I don't think that's what God's getting at. I just don't think it. No, he's saying your attractiveness as a person should stem from the inside and work its way out, not the other way around. You can look great on the outside and be very hollow and shallow on the inside and be very carnal, very corrupt on the inside. God says, no, you be what you need to be in Christ as a godly wife, living by principle, trusting God. In times it can be very difficult, but trusting God and doing what's right. Look what it says, verse 4. But let it be the hidden man or the hidden person of the heart. In other words, where you are in your core. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet. Remember verse 1, without a word. Even a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Do you believe God will bless his word? Do you believe God honors his word? You might say, he honors it every place but here. He doesn't honor it. I've tried this. It doesn't work. You just need to keep doing it. If it's going to change and you're part of that coming around, this is how you do it. Not by harping, not by fighting, just by doing this. I am well aware there are women who live miserable lives because their husbands will not get right with God. I'm well aware of it. I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying this. Ladies, if there's any hope, it's God's way. That's how you do it. Now, let me say this today. Where does all this begin? Well, you cannot be under the control of the Holy Spirit unless you're a child of God. And so you need to know what the Bible says about how you can be sure of going to heaven, how you become a biblical Christian. In other words, a Christian according to the Bible, not according to religion, 
but according to the Bible. Watch this very closely today. Let me explain this to you. How can you can be sure going to heaven? If this is you and me, let my wallet represent our sin. We're all sinners. Why are there marriage problems? Because we're sinners. We have a sin nature. The Bible, though, tells us God loves us. He hates our sin. Our sin separates us from the Lord. You cannot get to heaven with a sin. The sin has to be gone for you to enter heaven because heaven's a perfect place. And we are not. We're sinners. God says because we have sinned against him, there's a penalty that goes with that. The wages of sin being death. Not just physical death, but spiritual separation from God for all eternity. God doesn't want that for anybody. Well-meaning people will say, well, okay, I'll try to be good. I'll try to go to church. I'll promise God I'm going to change and all, all these things. That doesn't take away the sin. To go to heaven, the sin's got to be gone. Good works do not pay for sin. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. That's why God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, and he went to the cross. If this hand represents him, he is the sinless son of God. Jesus came to earth, and when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself, and he died in our place as a substitute. He made the payment that we owe. He paid it in full by dying on the cross. He took our sins upon himself, made the payment, was buried, rose from the grave three days later. And he says in his word this, that if you will believe in him, trust in him, that he has paid for all of your sins, the moment you do, he will give you everlasting life. Look with me to John 3 and verse 16. It says this, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now here's the beauty of this. Watch it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you believe the payment he made is good on your behalf, Your sins are taken away. They're forgiven. He gives you everlasting life. That's what it means when we talk about being born again. There's a new birth that takes place in your life. You were born into this world as a human being, but a sinner. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he gives you a new nature. We all have old nature still, but he gives you a new nature. This new nature not only is what you're going to take with you when you go to heaven, the old nature will be gone. You'll leave it behind. But the new nature goes with you to heaven. And not only that, but while we're here on earth, this new nature is what gives us the ability to live godly lives as Christians. Not because we have to, but because we want to. A godly husband, he can be a godly husband because he has a new nature. He empowers by the power of God to do that. But let me say today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you can know what I'm saying. But if you don't believe, if you don't put your faith in him that he made the payment for you, when you die, you'll spend forever separated from God. Trust Christ if you haven't done that. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry 
are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.